This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. Recently, I was invited to Social Media Week in Lagos, Nigeria, to do a live episode of Creative Conversation. For those who didn't grow up listening to Nigerian artists or watching Nollywood movies like I did, trust me when I tell you that Nigeria has a massive entertainment culture that doesn't get nearly the amount of recognition it deserves. And that's something Banky W wants to solve. Banky started his career as an R&B artist under his own label, but has since springboarded into film starring in some of Nigeria's most popular movies, including 2016's The Wedding Party, which actually became Nigeria's highest-grossing movie ever. Banky has also recently stepped into the political arena, running for a seat in Nigeria's House of Representatives. Even though he lost, his vision for what Nigeria could be is helping to spark a movement for the younger generation of Nigerians. In this very special episode of Creative Conversation, Banky explains how he wants to get more Nigerian artists and films in front of Western audiences, and he shares his vision of what Nigeria of the future could look like. My name is Casey Finey. I'm an entertainment editor of Fast Company Magazine in New York City, and I'm very excited to be here. I was invited to come do a live episode of the podcast that I do with the magazine, and it's called Creative Conversation, and it's just about getting creative insights, business insights from some of the best minds across film, TV, music, all of that. And so I couldn't think of a better guest while I'm in Lagos than Banky W. So please join me in welcoming to the stage. I should have asked, do you have, a, do you have a side you prefer? Do you have like a good I'm side? I'm okay, right. I'm okay, it's your show. <laughs> so, you know, your journey to becoming the Banky W that we know today really starts when you were at University of New York, because that's where you, of course, created uh, Empire Mates Entertainment, EME. And so you're going for school, you're going to school for engineering, and I think that that's a big leap from a relatively stable career into something that's kind of unknown. I mean, you're going into the entertainment industry, which is insane <laughs> by, many, by many stretches of the imagination. And so I feel like that's something a lot of people struggle with. So for you, what was at the root of taking a risk like that? What was that push that made you say, I'm going to do this as opposed to doing something more stable? Okay, um, good morning, everybody. <laughs> is this the first session of the day? No, it's not, because you guys seem a little quiet. Good morning, everybody. Uh Okay. Um, So for me, I think it was really more, I've said this before, it it wasn't so much a pay thing in the beginning as it was a purpose thing. Um, For me, I think when you're not doing what you're called to do, what you're destined to do, when you're not following your dreams or the visions God has given you, then you'll never be happy. It doesn't really matter how much money you are making or not making. It doesn't really matter what opportunities you have. I think it's about whether you are getting a sense of fulfillment from what you're doing. So for me, when I was going to school, I've always felt like I could do music and entertainment. I could chase it on the side, but I always went to school for the sole purpose of having a backup plan, that if my music or my entertainment dreams didn't work out, then I would be able to fall back on a degree and at least I'll be able to get a job. And I was good at math and science, so engineering came relatively easy to me. But, you know, I I was going through school and I started recording on the side 
And then I graduated and actually got a job with an engineering company in New York. So I was working for Johnson Controls, you know, doing my normal corporate America nine to five hustle, but I was doing my music on the side. And every day that I would go to work, I just, it kept eating away at me that I wasn't meant to be at a desk or, you know, doing engineering work. I was meant to be doing something else. And so for me, you know, it was, again, I said it was, it's really a purpose thing as opposed to a pay thing because I had a good job. But at that time, I had a conversation with my folks and they couldn't understand why in the world, you know, my parents don't even live in Nigeria, so they couldn't understand why I would leave, you know, a secure job and a, a paycheck every two weeks to come and start, you know, again and doing something that wasn't very dependable. But I had a conversation with my dad and I said, you know, if I don't give this thing a shot now, now that I don't have any responsibilities, no kids, no wife at the time, um, you know, this was the window that I had to really go after what I wanted to do. And I said, if I try it for a year and a half, maybe two years and it doesn't pan out, then at least I'll be able to live with knowing that I gave it a shot. And one of my mottos or one of the things that I've always lived by is that I can live with trying and failing, but I can't live with not trying. And so at that time I quit my job, you know, I bought a one-way ticket back to Lagos and the rest is history. And thank God I did. It's the second best decision I've made in my adult life. The best decision was marrying my wife. I knew Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, was, I feel like I was asking more for myself because I come from, uh, I have a sister that's a doctor, a brother that's a doctor, yeah. another brother that's an engineer, and I'm a journalist. And so my uh, parents are yeah, like, the black sheep. you're the, uh, uh, the <laughs> blackest of them all. Uh, and so, you know, I feel like it's when you have something that you're really passionate about, it's can be very difficult to figure out how to build the structure around it, how to make yeah. a sustainable living out of it. And yeah. I think that's something that's really relatable for a lot of people who either want to go into the creative field or just starting a business in general. So how do you build a structure of making a sustainable living out of your passion? Okay, um, so, so this, this is actually a very good question and this is applicable for um, people that are not even in entertainment or just anybody who is chasing after a dream. It, you know, you, you could be in the entertainment field, you could be in any field and you're trying to build a business. Ensure that you're building a business, not a job. A lot of small business owners make the mistake of saying, oh, I like something, so uh, I I'm automatically means that I'm good at it and then I should make a business out of it. But a lot of people in trying to follow that passion end up creating a job for themselves as opposed to creating a business. And there's a difference, right? A business is a system that produces a result. A job is just a job that you yourself must work in all the time. So even with EME, which was a record label and is now a, a full service media agency, it was very important, and I, and I probably learned this over the years, about building a structure and a system that produces the results that allows us to do it over and over again. Um, if you are creating a job, then you're not working on your business, you're working in the business. And if you're working in the business, then that means there's nobody working on it to position it to continue to produce results and to continue to grow and to continue to scale up. Um, it's just like Suya Bistro. I, I, I co-own Suya Bistro now. If you have not had Suya Bistro, I'm so sorry for you. Um, but again, Suya Bistro is a business that I work on as opposed to having to work inside it. And that's the key for all small business owners. Ensure that you're creating a business, not a job. So put the people in place, but, but more than the people, put the positions, put the structure so that people are just slotting into a structure that you've envisioned. And even if your company is not 
at the point where you have people in multiple positions, write out your organizational chart of where you envision your company going and put your name in all of the holes. And then as you grow and the business starts doing what you want it to do, you basically replace yourself with people that you hire to fill those positions so that you already have almost a blueprint of where you're trying to get to. And as you grow and you start to tick off the boxes, you start inserting people in that structure to get it to where you want it to be you know, down the line. And so to that point, I mean, was that, because it sounds like that's something that is, did you come into this business knowing that already, or was that a lesson that you had to learn the hard Oh, no, I learned so, that along the way. Right, yeah. so like, what, what was that learning curve for you, like building a business out of your passion? Uh, man, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a very broad question. It was a steep learning curve, and, you know, again, a lot of it we learned from, you know, trial and error. A lot of it we learned just over the years. You know, there are some things about, especially trying to do business in a place like Nigeria that's very difficult, um, where the odds, especially as a young business person, the odds really are stacked against you. Um, but I think what I found is that um, just from experience, you just continue to try to learn. So I didn't come into the game knowing everything I needed to know, but I studied people. You know, I, I had people that I read up, up you know, about, and I tell people all the time, you don't need to know your role model. You don't need to know your mentors one-on-one. -on -one. There's so much information now on the internet. You can read books, you can watch things on YouTube, you can you know, watch people's interviews. You, can, you, you really have to take the time to educate yourself in whatever field that you're trying to go into and learn the lessons that exist out there and then uh, apply what's applicable to your business and, and use those tools to, to become better. And that's really what I've done over the years is just try to continuously, like I never stop learning. I'm always reading a book, studying someone, studying a business practice, trying to be better, just always expanding my mind. Um, I think the day that you stop um, growing, the day that you stop learning is the day that you start dying. And so for me, that process never stops. Until the day that I actually die, I will always push myself to learn and to grow. So is there an example of that? Because I feel like there's a lot of people who are really doing, that, that could be uh, like a mentor for you. Someone, like you mentioned, some of you may not know. I mean, you, there's plenty of people, like I'm thinking of uh, like Diddy, Jay-Z, these, these people who have built empires have gone from music to something so much bigger. So yeah. for you, what, who's your blueprint? Who are you, who are you kind of channeling? So for me, my, my, um, from a musical standpoint, my, my blueprint, or the person that I probably did the most work studying was Jay-Z. Um, for me, you know, I, I always loved his music, but it was also, I loved his business acumen. I loved the moves that he made. Um, you know, there are rappers and there are rappers. And, and really, rap is just talking over a beat. But for, for him to take rap music and do what he's done with it, where he's, you know, built labels and he's in sports management and he's in advertising and he's in so many other things, really from the get-go, my business partner and I, Tunde Demura and I, had already said that the reason we called it EME, Empire Mates Entertainment, was because we wanted to build an empire. And so my music was just the first step in that process. And then it was other people's music. And then it's, it's movies now. And then it's you know, everything else that we're getting into. We're into a little bit of real estate. I'm into food now. I'm into all of these other things. We're into advertising and marketing and agency work. But again, from the get, and that's why I said it's important even when your company is not worth the amount of money that you've printed the paper, your registration paper on. 
have a vision in mind for where you're going. Have a blueprint. Have what the promised land of your business will be. In fact, what you should do if, if you're trying to decide to go into any business is you should picture where you want your life to be in five to ten years. In real terms, oh, I want to be able to travel with my family twice a year. I want to, my kids to be able to go to this kind of school. You know, literally write out, financially speaking, where you want to be in five or ten years. And then tabulate exactly how much money you would need to be making at that point in time to, to be able to live that lifestyle. When you have that, then you now know how much money your business needs to generate for you to be able to pay yourself out of the profit of that business to live that lifestyle. When you now know, then that means you now know how much money your business needs to generate in general. When you have that, then you can now look at your idea and say, realistically, will this idea take me there in five to 10 years time? If it won't, then you know it's not even worth it to explore that idea. Not every idea is good, but not every idea makes sense for you. So you, you really have to map it out in that way and then see if your idea has a chance to give you the kind of lifestyle that you're trying to create for yourself and your family and then work back from there. If the idea does make sense, Nigeria is a, is a huge country with a lot of problems, but most problems can become an opportunity and you just have to find that opportunity and find a solution to it. And if your solution, enough people want that solution, then now you know that you're in business. And did you ever find it difficult to balance the business side of what you're building with EME with the creative side? Because you made the decision to be an artist as well as an entrepreneur, whereas some people may have just, they, they may have just want to be signed to a label and just focus on the creative. So for you doing both, was that ever a struggle for you? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, difficult juggling both hats, you know, as a creative and as a businessman or an executive. Um, I don't think it's for everybody. And you know, if you look throughout the, the creative world, you'll see very clear examples of people who've been able to do both and people who are really just more on the creative side. But I think the key, excuse me, I think the key is if you're not going to be the business person, then you have to have a partner that is. And even if you are going to be the business person, partnerships are key, collaboration is key. You can't achieve everything that you want to do by yourself. So even if you don't have a partner in the beginning, keep your eyes open for somebody who maybe shares the same vision and the same ideals for you, where, where you are lacking, that person can pick up. There's a book I, I really want to recommend anybody who's in, uh, thinking of going into a small business to read. Write this down. It's called The E-Myth Revisited. The E as in entrepreneur, E-Myth, M-Y-T-H, Revisited by Michael Gerber. And that business, re I mean, that book really breaks down what it is to enter a small business, why most small businesses fail. And it'll teach you, for instance, that most people are either an entrepreneur or a manager or a technician. And you are probably a little bit more of one than the other two. All of us have a combination of those three uh, personalities, but most people are usually heavily in one area. And then when you understand, like for instance, I'm an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is the person that sees the vision, sees the goal, sees the new frontiers, always trying to solve a new problem or expand or scale. And, you know, it's always kind of future focused on the next thing that they want to achieve. The technician is the skilled person who, whatever, you know, whether it's Suya Bistro, the person that creates the recipes, the person that, you know, then the manager is the person that keeps everything going. You know, it takes the vision that the entrepreneur has 
and the skills that the technician has and manages that entire process and keeps it going. So if you are more of an entrepreneur, then you know that you need, if it's not a business partner, somebody high-ranking in your team that's more manager or technician so that where you are lacking, that person or those people pick it up. And if you are more the technician, the skilled person focused on, on the skill that, you are, your, that your business needs, then you need somebody that is in charge of scaling, in charge of growth, in charge of setting the vision, in charge of new frontiers. Um, and that's why I say like it's important that you're always learning. Find a book to read, find somebody to study, find a YouTube video, gain a new skill, gain some new knowledge. There's, you know, the, the, the most successful people are the people that continue to, to understand that they don't know it all and that they can always pick up something new, they can learn something new, and then they can apply what they've learned to become better. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. EME, of course, had a very successful run in establishing your career as well as a career of other artists, but it was, what, maybe two years ago that you decided to close down the music label side of EME and restructure the business around, you know, marketing, advertising, and all that. And so for you, I mean, like, now that you've kind of had some distance from that, what insights have you gained from kind of essentially kind of closing off your baby, really? Because you yeah. came into it with yeah. this passion for music and, yeah. you know, you had a broader vision, but you started off with music and you made that decision yeah. to yeah. shut that down. So now that you're two years from it, like, what have you learned from that? Um, what have I learned from closing down mm -hmm. the... Right. Okay, Making so I think... Decision. It's a hard decision to make. Yeah, I think um, for me, I think... It's important to be very self-aware, um, to know where you are in your journey, to know what's important to you, to know the things that you can continue to work on. And I feel like maybe about four plus years ago, I'd kind of, you know, we'd done the, the record label thing really since, really since 2002, when we started the label in my dorm room while I was in university. And we ran it in, in university for a few years. Then I moved back to Nigeria in 2008. And we ran that for a few years as well. But it just got to the point where, you know, again, being self-aware of our journey, we just felt like, okay, it was time for us to transition into the next phase of doing business. And we had built relationships with people in the corporate world, with companies, um, with things that we felt like long-term were more sustainable. Not to say that the record label business was bad. It was good to us while we were in, in the business, but it, it just felt like, you know, to a certain extent, we had done what we came to do as a label, and, you know, you, you have to realize before other people when it's time for you to change your goals and to pivot and to start focusing on other things, and you have to be smart enough to use what you have, which for us was relationships, was access, was, you know, all of those things, to pivot and to do other things. In fact, the, the, our journey as an agency actually started while we were still a label because what we were trying to do is, you know, and this is for people that are in entertainment, you know, companies sign ambassadors a dime a dozen. Most endorsement deals in Nigeria a year, you come, they put your face on a couple of billboards, you appear in a commercial, after one year they find the next hot person and, and pass the endorsement deal to the next person. So what we decided was that in any opportunity that we had, we would always give added value. We would always do more. So you, you wouldn't 
easily replace me because somebody else has a new song. And um, glory to God, a testament to that is my Samsung deal is now eight years that I've been working with Samsung Mobile in Nigeria. My Ciroc deal was four and a half years. You know, so, so again, it's not because I always had the hottest song. It wasn't because I had the best voice or, you know, girls like me more than they like the next person. It was because we were adding value to those relationships. Now, from adding value to those relationships and added services, it, it extended from them just working with me, but then working with the structure of EME. So EME, as a record label, was already doing agency work. You know, we were getting briefs. Sometimes they would even give us the work, and then because of their laws, they would have to pay us through an agency that was registered with them. So the agency would just be collecting uh, 5% or 10% just so that they could pay us to do the work. So it was a natural transition for us to say, okay, it's now time for us to shift and to, to change focus. So while I'm grateful for the record label years, I don't, um, I mean, you know, I don't want to say that I don't miss it, but I'll tell you this, EME as an agency is worth at least three times as much as it ever was worth as a label. And that goes to show you that, you know, we were thinking ahead. You know, if we could have lived and died on what's the next hit song that we're going to release, or we could say, hey, you know what? We've gained what we needed to gain from this. Now, what else can we do with it? And again, that goes back to what I was saying about growing, about learning, about scaling, about understanding when it's time to, uh, when the period, uh, when the message is to keep going and when the message is to change directions. And for us, it was definitely time to change directions. So in fact, I gave the artists on the label like a year and a half notice that, guys, you know, whatever you need from us, get within this next year, year and a half, because come 2016, 2017, we're going to change directions. And so everybody internally knew that that change was coming, and we prepared for that, and we tried to help them as much as we, we could to give them a soft landing. But it, we definitely knew that as a company, as a structure, as a business, as a team, it was time for us to change directions. That's not to say that I've retired from music completely. So for people that still like music, there's at least one more album coming. Hopefully you people will listen to it. Um, so that's still coming down the line. But in terms of the record label thing, we just felt like, We'd done our time. And here's the one thing that I'll say, and, and, and I know I'm, I, I speak a lot. I'm so sorry. That's what we're here for. <laughs> They're here to hear you talk, not me. So. All right, cool. Uh, here's the one thing that I'll say. Um, one, of, one of my biggest regrets, not personally, but regrets for the Nigerian music business as a whole, is that it's called show business for a reason, right? There's the show, and then there's the business. And we... As, a, as an industry, we understood the show. So when we say the show, we're talking about the creative side, the talents, the artists, the vocalists, the producers, you know, the people that are in the business of creating and performing the music. But on the business side, there was a, there's always been a huge elephant in the room about the collecting societies, about royalties, about publishing, about licensing about things that should exist, things that uphold the music business around the world pretty much were non-existent or just a shadow of what they could have been in Nigeria. And I think that even now, even though I, I don't uh, run a label per se anymore, we're still having conversations about how can we fix this thing? Maybe not so much for us because, you know, our time in terms of my generation of musicians, our time is pretty much winding down and there's a whole new crop of talented guys. 
But you know what? The entire business and the entire future business of Nigerian music would be better off if we can just solve these royalties, collections, uh, licensing thing once and for all. And I think that's the challenge that we have now. For those of us that are kind of considered elder statesmen and even for the younger people, let's pay attention to this thing once and for all and fix this business of royalties, not just for the artists, for the producers, for the writers, for the composers, for everybody that's in their food chain, you know, if we can fix this, the, the future of Nigerian music will be secured. If we don't, it's either that people will continue to live and die with their last endorsement deal or their last show or their last hit song, or people are going to come from outside and own, set up the structure and own it, and we will be in our own land working for other people. So I think that's something that we've got to fix, and that challenge is still ongoing, and we're working on that, and hopefully by God's grace we'll get it done. So for you, is that something that you, do you see that as a next venture for EME? Because you have the experience and, you know, speaking from like on the, like in the U.S., there's a lot of startups that are working to address this issue in terms of making sure that artists get their rights and making yeah. sure that it's basically streamlining the whole process because the music industry globally is a mess, really. So for you, do you see that as being a part of EME? Like, whether it's a, like an offshoot of a company or however you want to phrase it, do you see yourself getting into the business of streamlining royalties, yeah. making changes within the music industry? Yeah, it's definitely something that we are, I don't, not even something that we want to do, something that we are currently involved in, but it's so much bigger than EME, right? It's, it's a collaboration. So it's about all of us in the business that are relevant, that you know, have been blessed with success, taking the knowledge and the exposure and the access that we have and getting in a room and trying to sort it out once and for all. I mean, we talk about fixing Nigeria once and for all. Um, fixing Nigeria has to go beyond pointing at people in government. Let's even fix, if we want to fix Nigeria, let's start by fixing the music business. Let's start by fixing the area of Nigeria that we have some level of influence and control. So that I can't share too much right now, but that conversation is ongoing. You know, um, there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes, a lot of meeting, a lot of uh, meetings, a lot of uh, structure and planning going on. But I'm believing God that by God's grace, you know, we will be the generation that gets this thing right once and for all. Not so much for us, but for everybody that will come after us and for the future of Nigerian music as a whole. Nice. And I imagine that when it comes to the agency side of EME, you have these, these, these clients and these companies are buying into you because it's not as if you are some, I guess, like faceless executive steering the ship. You're a very high profile figure. So they're buying into you. They're buying into this, this sort of brand that you've built around yourself. So how would you describe that brand and how would you say it's evolved over the years? Um, so, you know, I think actually you, from the outside, you would think that they were buying into me but really, they're buying into the structure that I built, the structure that I built with my partner, the, um, the structure that I built with my team, with the people who are, you know, in, like completely valuable members of the team and the, the idea of what EME is and what we're able to do and the services we provide. Because we have clients that don't interface with me at all. We have clients who is my partner or the GM or the operations manager or any one of our client service executives who that's actually their go-to person. And as long as that person is there and the team that that person has under them is servicing them, then that's, you know, that's why we have the business. And that's what I said about creating 
a business as opposed to creating a job. So yes, I provide strategy. Yes, I provide the overall vision. Yes, I provide the new frontiers that we try to conquer. But it's very much about what the, the structure that I've set up is able to do and the results that they're able to produce. Um, and that's why we have the business that we have. Uh, in terms of my own personal branding, um, I don't like to talk about myself so much. I think I'll, I'll leave it to people to decide what they think that I represent. Um, I do know that probably if I could say one thing, I would say that the thing that drives me most of all is impact, the opportunity to impact. So whether it's impacting the world through my personal music or the films that I make, whether it's impacting the music business by the talents that I was able to bring up and become a stepping stone to for them to go on and do even greater things than me, whether it's through the scholarships that we've given over the years. Uh, one of my proudest moments was somebody who we had given a scholarship to go to film school ended up as a producer on a, on a film that I did called Up North. Um, so whether it's impact through scholarships or charity or politics or music or movies or business now with Suya Bistro and the other things that we're involved in, that I think is the, the most important thing to me now and, and has been for a while and will always be the most important thing to me is, you know, with what God has blessed me with, when I die, when, which hopefully in Jesus' name will be many years from now after I've seen my children's children, but when the day comes that, you know, my time on here is done, I hope to leave behind a trail of impact. I hope to have made my country, my state, my city, my community, the world that I was able to touch, the world that I was able to influence a little bit better than, you know, than when I found it. So I believe in investing in people. I thank you, you can collect it. God bless you. Thank you so much for the encouragement. Um, but I believe in, in investing in people because at the end of the day, it's not, it's not just about what you can gain for yourself. It's not just about creating wealth. It's about creating a chain of impact. It's about changing lives. It's about people being better off because they came into contact or they did business with you. And that's really what pushes me and drives me. And I hope that that's what my business is and all the things that I'm involved in represent. And I think when it comes to creating that impact, there's obviously many ways you can go about it. You can go about directly through scholarships, as you mentioned, through charity work, whatever it might be. But I think one thing that is really in your wheelhouse is that intersection of art and activism or political change. And I know that that's something that uh, you had the song, the, the remix for better, that where you were bringing out uh, highlighting issues and the things that you were really hoping to enact if you won the seat of the House of Representatives. So for you, do you see yourself leaning into that more, leaning into making more, not necessarily music, I know that's kind of on the side for now, but film or TV, things that really challenge the things that you are wanting to see changed? Yeah. Um, I think that art is extremely powerful. I think that it's, uh, art has the potential to change society, to change mindsets, to change culture, to change the world. Um, I think that artists, and, and when I say artists, I use it as a broad term for you know, entertainers, musicians, actors, even sports people. Um, we have a, a gift from God because we have a voice that people want to listen to. And so when, whenever we can use that for the greater good, whenever we can use that to pass strong messages across, I think that that can be a very powerful thing. Um, 
for instance, uh, up north, the film that we did uh, in, in 2018 going into 2019. Has anybody seen up north? Okay. So you know that on the surface, right, up north is a kind of like a comedy, coming-of-age story about a spoiled rich kid. But really, up north is about so much more than that because it's about the north of Nigeria, which we never get to see in any light other than the news saying that somebody bombed somebody somewhere. You know, maybe because we live in Lagos, that's usually all we hear, but we didn't realize, and I didn't realize, that the north is beautiful, that there's culture there, that there's peace there, that there are hospitable people there. Um, it's about um, girl-child education in Nigeria. You know, we, we know that Nigeria has the most number of children out of school in the world, of which predominantly those are girls. Two-thirds of that number, I think it's 11 million children are out of school, two-thirds of which are girls. So we made a film that on the surface is a comedy, but really in that film it's about educating our children, our girl children, our northern Nigerian girl children, who probably are the most disenfranchised group of people in the country to say, this thing is okay. Like, it's okay. It's, it's not even only okay. It's a must that we send our children to school. It's a must that we send our girls to school. It's a must that we allow them to chase their dreams. And we, we did that in Up North through sports. You know, the girls participated in, in athletics just to change the perception and do it in a respectful way, in a subtle way, but in a way that clearly passes that message across, that, that this is the Nigeria that we are now, and this is the Nigeria that we want to be. And we are all responsible for building the Nigeria that we want to see. No, no one president or senator or representative is going to come and do it for us. We're all responsible for making this country what we want it to be. So we used Up North to do that. Um, over the years, I've done a couple of music videos like Change, um, like the Better Remix. And even more than just using music or movies, I've always tried to use my voice and my image. So I'll, you know, I'll speak at conferences. I think every, every protest that has happened, almost every protest that has happened in the country, I've been there at the front lines because I feel like if people see me with coming from the background that I come from, being concerned and being involved in the push to make this country better, then just maybe it will inspire other people to join the fight. I think that, you know, we don't need everybody, right? We just need enough people to come on board and make this push together. Um, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Banky. Uh, I want to take you some years back. I hope you don't mind. Um, some of us know, or most of us should be aware of the fact that you uh, fought cancer a long time ago. Yeah, and you came out successful. So I want to know what was your state of mind in that time? Because everybody knows how cancer can be terminal. Yeah. So what was your psychology? Because there are a lot of people going through a lot, so maybe you can inspire them with that. And secondly, uh, over the years, you've branched into different things. So how do you know without, um, how do you know that you know enough about how things go into it? So you're not like being limited by inadequate knowledge or okay. too much knowledge. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh man, that's some good questions. Um, okay. So I've actually battled um, skin cancer three times, and to the glory of God, it is no longer my portion. I'm healed in Jesus' name. Um, 
I'll say this. I think that, first of all, I think it's very important to say that I am not, I don't consider myself stronger or better off than anybody else. Um, there are people who, you know, you know, fight that battle with cancer and they lose and they lose their lives. So I don't in any way try to position myself as being this incredibly strong person. I think that I owe my health, my wealth, my success, my happiness to the grace of God um, first and foremost. Also, because God has blessed me enough to be able to afford the treatment. Cancer treatment is very expensive. And so what I did was immediately I got to a place of success. I started supporting um, cancer funds. So I'm part of the Pink Oak Cancer Trust Fund. I don't know if anybody knows about it, but what we do is we provide um, funds for people who can't afford their cancer treatment in Nigeria. And, you know, I'm an ambassador for them. I'm a donor to, what, to the work that they're doing there. And we've been able to help quite a few people who are struggling with different stages of cancer. We try to, to um, help people that are more in the earlier stages because you have a much higher chance of success. But we have impacted many lives through that. Um, in terms of the state of mind that you asked, I think that, you know, you know, the first time uh, we received the diagnosis that the tumors that I had were cancerous, I think a lot of the people around me, my family, took it a lot harder than I did because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not here to preach, I'm not a pastor, I'm not, you know, trying to convert anybody, but I will say that my relationship with God is my actual backbone. That's what keeps me going, even in the years that it looked like I was the worst sinner in the world. Um, that relationship with God has always been my anchor. And so when you're faced with something that is bigger than you, turn it over to the person that is bigger than you. And that's what I did. So, yeah, I got the diagnosis, but I never really, I never really thought that I would lose my life or that it would escalate to the point where I wouldn't make it back. I just felt like, you know what? I didn't give myself my life in the first place. God gave it to me. So if God is giving me this thing, I'm going to come out stronger, wiser, better for it, and God will help me deal with it. And to the glory of God, he really has. And again, coming out of that, um, what I try to do is to pay that forward. So I've been able to afford my cancer treatment. I try to help other people afford theirs. And I think that's really all it's about. I think God blesses you and God protects you and keeps you um, God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to other people. And I believe very strongly in that. Um, I believe we're all created here to be vessels. I believe that you, as you are sitting there, you are the answer to somebody's prayer. You are the solution to somebody's problem. And, and there's something that God has created you to do that nobody else in this world can do. So once you discover what that is, just chase after it and do it with the best of your ability. And when you look back over your life, you will find that a lot of great things have happened. And that's been my story. Wow. I think that that's a perfect note to end on. I just got the card that said time's up. So thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. God bless. Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. Be sure to subscribe to Creative Conversation wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, don't forget to rate and review. We always love hearing your feedback. I'm your host, Casey Finey.